Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? What's up? I mean, we're on the precipice of the collapse of world sport. Or the suspension, at least. Yeah, these are, I would say that the last 24 hours, um, like, as a sports fan, really as, as a global citizen, but like, as a sports fan, it's been the most surreal uh, 24-hour period that I've ever seen in the history of sports. From, I guess, if you took it from the start of uh, Manchester City and Arsenal choosing to postpone their game because Arsenal players were in quarantine... Um, and you took that all the way through the message last night from the NBA that their season was being suspended. Uh, in between, you have reports that uh, the NCAA will be banning fans from attending March Madness, which is a thing that I can't even wrap my mind around because fans and March Madness are just so inextricably linked with one another that I can't even separate the two. Like, picture the Final Four without people. What? This is, And then you wake up this morning, and we're now in a news cycle where – it's all like changing. the dominoes are now falling, uh, and I, every minute, every hour, every second, it things it seems that things are just updating at a speed that is it's it's making your head spin. Yeah, I lived through the foot and mouth uh, incident in in Europe in two thousand and one, and I remember sporting. Uh, events being cancelled, large gatherings being cancelled, all those things, but it was never on a scale like this. Nothing close to this. No, I um, mean, and that was a panic because of its effect on the economy too, and and also it was it was to do with livestock, uh-huh. um, and in a rural country like Ireland that mattered. But this is this affects across the board in a way I've never experienced. Yeah, it feels like we're living a, a movie. Like this, watching television last night and being on the internet, it just none of this seemed real. It's very surreal. Yeah, and um, you want to take this podcast to year zero. No. Everything's over. We don't talk about football now. We only talk about the coronavirus. <laughs> Look, we can we can take people behind the the scenes. You and I we talk before every show we talk about what we want to do. And you know, I to me this is now like the news is just coming at such a speed and the stories that are coming out like we haven't even gotten to the most uh the most recent news developments pertaining to soccer in that MLS has been suspended. Uh, Jeff Carlisle, we're, we're recording this at like 12.10 right now, Eastern Time. 20 seconds ago, Jeff Carlisle just tweeted that CONCACAF Champions League has been suspended. All upcoming U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team friendlies have been suspended. Um, still awaiting word on what's going to happen with the Premier League. La Liga is taking a temporary hiatus. Real Madrid are in quarantine after a member of the Real Madrid basketball team tested positive for coronavirus at the team's facility. Sky uh, reporting that Leicester players show symptoms. Leicester boss Brendan Rodgers say a few of his squad have shown symptoms of the coronavirus. They are scheduled to face Watford at Vicarage Road on Saturday in the Premier League. Reports of, uh, I'm almost hesitant to do this, but um, Guillaume Balaguet is a journalist I think that is generally trusted. He has a tweet uh, from an hour ago citing L'Equipe in France. Uh, the tweet reads, In the UEFA meeting on Tuesday, it will be confirmed that the Champions League and Europa League will be suspended. He writes in parentheses, which is a sentiment that I would echo, why wait till Tuesday? Then well, he adds saying, plus the Euros will be moved to 2021. These are 
these are just like unbelievable events unfolding at light speed right now. Well, let's can I just read the UEFA statement today? Sure, of course. In the light of the ongoing developments in the spread of COVID-19 across Europe and the changing analysis of the World Health Organization, UEFA has today invited representatives of its 55 member associations together with the boards of the European Club Association and the European Leagues and a representative of FIFPro to attend meetings by video conference, thankfully, on Tuesday, 17th of March, to discuss European football's response to the outbreak. Discussions will include all domestic and European competitions, including UEFA Euro 2020. Further communication will be made following those meetings. So that kind of suggests that everything's on the table. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I've now been... I, I've. It's funny. Since this whole thing has started, I feel like I've, I've kind of like seesawed. There have been days when I was like, you know what? I'm not sure how big a deal this is. And then there were other days where you turn on the news and you think, oh, my God, this is truly terrifying. And you kind of go back and forth because we have, we're not educated in this matter. But I think now – I think we all need to kind of move ourselves into the corner of we don't know anything. And we have to trust the people and the experts that do know. Like I was thinking about this, JJ, because I've heard – I bet you've come in contact with a lot of similar kind of people. And I'm not, I'm not trying to blame them. But – I've come in contact with a lot of people who are freaking out at the freak out. People who are kind of of the mindset of, this is nothing. Why is all this happening? The economy is in the tank. We are losing billions of dollars for a thing that's not, that does, uh, this is a non story and we're in freak out mode. And I think now I've been trying to like, because I know we're going to do a soccer podcast. So I've been trying to liken that to like, what's a soccer analogy for what's happening right now? And I was thinking, let's say you're walking down the street yesterday after Liverpool lose that game and you're wearing a Liverpool jersey and a guy comes up to you and he says, Jurgen Klopp's got to be fired. And you would say to that guy, oh, okay, are you like a Liverpool fan? No. Well, are you like a former front office executive who knows how these things work? No. (laughs) Well, are you like somebody who – have you played soccer? Do you have any soccer background? No, not really. But I heard Liverpool were playing well, so I started paying attention a couple weeks ago. And since I started paying attention, they really have not been doing well. He should be fired. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Your opinion means nothing to me. So like all of these guys that you work with and friends that you come in contact with that you're just having these casual conversations with that suddenly want to act like they're experts on the coronavirus, you don't know anything. Because- so let's all just shut up and allow the experts to do their job and just do what they tell us to do. On that note, get on to cdc.org for all coronavirus information, how to protect yourself, what it is, and what's happening. Daily updates, you can log on at any time. You can also see it on Twitter. Don't be heeding Jim in Levittown, who's been retweeted by your friend Buck. And don't allow your opinion to be swayed by that guy. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. By the way, there are some pundits in the media who are talking about this thing at certain branches of the media who don't know what they're talking about either. The World Health Organization, the CDC, That's those are the people you need to be listening to right now and to your GP who knows your case and any underlying conditions you may or may not have. And ultimately, Come too, on. like... I think also we need to start using some common sense in how we're perceiving the seriousness of this in that, like... We can all say in a moment of a public health crisis, you know, oh, it, money doesn't matter. We need to put the the well-being of the people first. And that is true. But let's also remember, in a capitalistic society, money does matter. The NBA is not suspending their season for nothing. The NCAA, they have two huge events a year, the college football playoff and March Madness. They are not banning fans from attending their event over nothing. They are taking advice from people who know what they're talking about. 
like I feel like now we've kind of crossed the threshold where people need to just like understand like if you're somebody who's still upset that you can't go to watch one of your teams play in person right now like tough we're we're in a moment where like yeah your life is going to be inconvenienced by this until we get a handle on what's going on so like you know hopefully you know I, I just don't want to see tweets from people who are you know, season ticket holders for like Nashville or Atlanta or whatever saying that they're upset that their season has been put on hold and they can't go watch their team play because they don't think this is a big deal. Like, I think it's it's time that people wake up and understand this is unlike anything we've really dealt with in our lives. Uh, but it's not just sports fans, though. There's people out there who have embraced, and this is a conversation for another day, but they've embraced this kind of post-truth society we're in right now where you can argue facts. Right. Don't do that. Not with this. This will not discriminate. Yeah, I think the World Health Organization and the CDC, and I'm not trying to be like flippant or making a joke when I say this. I, I honestly view those as apolitical organizations. Like, I, to me, those are not organizations that really have a political affiliation. So if they're telling me, if they're telling us something, like it's it's what I am going to trust, and I think that that's a safe way to handle this. Please, um, just do it. Yeah, I mean, this is just like. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned some of the other um, – Daniela Rujani of Juventus tested positive for the coronavirus yesterday. So Juventus has been in quarantine. And I mean if you, if you get a chance to read some of the reporting coming out of Italy right now where the place is in lockdown – some uh, you know, large parts of it are in quarantine like for example the town of, of Parma. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, you, you're not supposed to – the order or the direction is not to go outside the city walls, to stay in your homes, to, to work from home, to all those things. And you hear about elderly people who are dying and their loved ones can't go near them because of the danger of contracting and spreading this thing. Ima- imagine the horror. This isn't a joke. It's just not a joke. And you've got to listen to the experts because you don't know anything. So from a sporting perspective... I just am wondering, because like we said, the news is just happening so quickly, like, where is this heading? Like, right now, these leagues, the Premier League, like we said, up at this point, we haven't heard much. Uh, I saw Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yesterday says that Manchester United would support the suspension of the Premier League to combat the spread of the virus. Like, let's all be honest with one another. That's that's where we're headed. Yeah, I mean, Britain's response, sporting response, has been strange I would say the Cheltenham horse horse racing festival which brings in hundreds of thousands of people across I don't know how many days uh, 10 days probably more than that considering all the ancillary events and things that go on surrounding it that went ahead that you got the feeling with Cheltenham they just snuck it in before people said okay we got to start shutting things down Uh, and it was strange to me three and a half thousand Atletico Madrid fans travelling to Liverpool last night Yeah, you know that is that is dangerous. I'm sorry. Right now, large mass congregations of people and even 22 men on a field. It was funny at the weekend. Um, there was no handshakes in the Premier League, yet you had people jumping all over each other for celebrations and close contact and tackling and, and crashing into each other. I mean, Jurgen Klopp is, and we're going to, we will talk about some of the Champions League in Liverpool. No, we are because I will make sure that we do. I know, I know. But like, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp, JJ, in the last week, like I feel like he's becoming a man unhinged. His press conferences where uh, he's been asked about 
his generally like his thoughts on this virus. And he's now snapping at journalists. And I understand his point. I think I kind of agree with him. But he's snapping at journalists yeah. saying, who am I to be answering that question? I don't know. Why do you come to me as no, an expert? I'm not an expert. His last point to the, pre, the pre-Madrid one, not the weekend, the pre-Madrid yeah. one was, why do you think you are outside of this? We're yeah. doing we're doing sport and you've traveled to do that. Like he's trying to just say, we're all part of this. Right. There is no. Right, this isn't a Liverpool issue. It's not like should we should we ban soccer to stop this thing? Don't go to the pub, right? right. You know, stop going to the theater. But the <laughs> movies might be a bad idea for you. you. You know, like and and this isn't panic. This is what we're being told by the people who know most. And the spread rate of this is really scary. But I saw the video yesterday <laughs> of Jurgen Klopp walking through the tunnel. Um, to come out onto the field before the game, and a couple fans put their hands out to give him a high five, and he snaps at them. Yeah, it's like you can read his lips. I can't say what he said on this show, but like well, you, he's he, he's a, he's had it with all of this. He is quite he is quite um, compelling when he's had enough of people, you know, because he is the jovial German, the laughing, the right. white teeth. Until the, he is the charisma. Until he isn't. Um, and then his face can quickly go from jovial German to the eyes bulge. He's got a, like a very intense look. Yeah. I, I remember last season, was it someone asked him about, um, <laughs> I think it was the draw with Leicester or the draw with West Ham. And they asked him about his team and he was clearly frustrated in the moment. And he said, you think this is PlayStation? You think we can just create chances, score goals just like that? You know, that we weren't trying? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Don't, don't cross him. Um, so that is, uh, up to this moment, that is kind of where we're at. I think, you know, even though announcements haven't been made pertaining to all leagues, I think we're kind of of the mindset right now that this game and sports in general really are just sort of being placed on hold. There's like a collective pause button that's being hit until we can kind of get a grasp on an ability to contain the spread of this virus. Well, and, I, and it is worth noting, too, that there have been, like, I'm not an expert, but I listen to people that are, and like listening to The Daily today, they're talking about how China and South Korea have made incredible strides, and they were pointed out by the World Health Organization yesterday for the strides they've made in containing this. So hopefully other countries will begin to follow suit. Uh, and, you know, that's why large gatherings are being stop the you know that's why these prominent sporting events are being halted because that's like step one is to stop the spread of this in large groups um so that's i think that's pretty much where where we're at right now with this do you want to talk about other things yeah i want to talk about the football because this might be the last football we get to talk about actual games we get to talk about i know for a while so let's make it a good one friend i know it's just very weird to talk about games that are taking place in competitions that may not. Sorry, not to be have not, not uh, right, not to be flippant, but I want to give everyone a a window into Andrew's mind right now. Right, right now, Andrew is Killian Murphy waking up in the hospital in twenty eight days later, wandering across London Bridge at a desolate, empty landscape. That's where he is. I've never seen that movie. You need to click into podcast mode now. Boyo, we're talking about the football. <laughs> I, I, I wish you had the, the pale 
haunting eyes of Killian Murphy. At least it gave me something nice to stare at. All right, well, let's talk about the Champions League. We're going to do our best, all right? We're going to put on we're going to put on a brave face and we're going to do this. We're going to talk soccer. I do wonder how many people really care right now. Believe me, that everybody was looking forward to this podcast last night. Things have yeah, gotten and then everything happened. Yeah, things have gotten worse. But what what do you want us to do? I don't know. I don't I don't know what I want to do. I want to talk football. I want to talk ball. Let's start with what was really the standout uh, match from the last several days, really, and that is Liverpool. Um, what an incredible game against Atletico Madrid, the second leg. Liverpool are out of the Champions League in the round of 16. Their defense of their European crown will go no further. Um, there's a lot of angles to get into from their game specifically. I guess we'll start... I'm trying to decide which one I want to start with. I guess we'll start with the one that is kind of like really was making waves, and that is the the goalkeeper issue for Liverpool because it seemed like immediately the game ended and the blame game began. And, yeah, and a hundred percent of the blame was being pointed at one man, and that was Adrian. Well, it's not all about Adrian, but his mistake was a fundamental shift in the game. And was a mistake on a night like that that you can't make. Now, there was other key moments. Firmino failing to make contact with a good chance close in in the first half, or the second half, I think. Uh, Robertson hitting the crossbar. No, that was the Firmino chance was the first half. Robinson hitting the crossbar. I don't Rob- know how he didn't score. I don't know how Robertson didn't score. Yeah. Um, that was a big chance. And you, I will say the defender went... When I watch the second angle, there's he a kept replay. With them. Defender kind of puts him off a little yes, bit, so, it, it was so actually, Robertson can't get quite as clean uh, a head on it as he would, uh, as he obviously would have liked. Well, he to. can't quite angle it downwards, which but uh, he's from such close range. Yeah, you was, expected the net to bulge. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, um, but look, it was it was a key moment in a game that was finally poised. Liverpool didn't have the away goal. Of course, it matters, and there was a an instant. Momentum shift at that moment. Pat Nevin was on the BBC last night talking live from Anfield about what that moment, Adrian's flubbed clearance, meant for the game. They looked in control of it, but it then just faded. We've all been in teams before where everyone's jogging about looking fine. Then you lose an unexpected goal and suddenly everyone looks two yards slower. Everyone looks exhausted. Suddenly the game plan's out of, you know, out of control as well. You're having to send your centre half back up to centre forward, and then you know it's a complete panic. What I was surprised at in that situation is they didn't they, they didn't have anything to turn up after. They didn't have any volume to go. They made a couple of changes, but it just never happened. And you know yourself at the stadium when you've got the cop to fif- for 15 minutes to aim into to stay in the, the Champions League, you expect it to happen. You expect at least a big drive. There was nothing. There was no energy. And I'm not blaming anyone except they probably just need a slightly bigger squad. It's so true. The minute that that goal went in, that was it. Liverpool just couldn't pick it up again. And I think, Andrew, that's as good a performance over the 90, at least, as Liverpool have put in since Leicester on St. Stephen's Day, Mm -hmm. on Boxing Day. That, that's their best, most complete performance. They were absolutely at it. But for all the chances they had, I mean, 34 shots, 11 on target, two goals wasn't enough. And as Klopp pointed out, the Firmino goal needed to happen within the 90 minutes. The second goal had to happen within the 90 minutes yeah. because Liverpool were out on their feet. I, I tweeted last night, I enjoyed that game immensely. 
absolutely immensely. And I can't be, you know, totally upset. I, I am, I'm disappointed we're out of the Champions League, but I thought that was a brilliant performance from Liverpool. And they just, they just, that moment from Adrian, he kicks it out. He can't. It's terrible. He it's can't, a terrible moment. It's a terrible moment. He can't readjust his footing quick enough. And the next thing, the ball is in the back of the net. Skips yeah. up off the turf. You can make one mistake, but you can't compound that mistake with another but mistake. But Andrew, it was in the wires. It was in the mail. It was in the post. The only problem- he had a bad game against Bournemouth. There's no, he was, he looked unsure of himself against Bournemouth and in the, in the, in the FA Cup. In also. the second half. Yeah. In the FA Cup too. In the second half, he makes a brilliant save from the feet of one of the Atletico Madrid players after because he's he's made a mess of an easy shot from João Felix. So he was always liable to do this. You're right. The only he is to blame. Like if, if we are going to talk about why this happened, he, his name is certainly on that list. It might even be top of the list. The only reason that I struggle to like shine the entirety of the spotlight on him for why this went wrong. I mean, through 90 minutes, he held, he did, you can say he had a mistake here or there, but like he did hold Atletico Madrid to a clean sheet over but the course they, of the like, He didn't make his, he didn't make a truly crippling first mistake until like the 97th. Minute. I know, but Atletico hardly troubled the Liverpool goal for most of the 90. Uh, yeah. Let's be perfectly honest. They had a couple, they had a couple of chances, but chances you would expect a team of their quality to have. But like when a team takes 34 shots, um, like Liverpool did. I mean, how many shots did they have in in the ninety minutes without with only getting? Uh, oh, I, I, the one I'm, goal. I'm not like, even I'm not even sure what it was. Probably like the 90. probably like thirty shots or so. Yeah, I mean, and, like, and you can make the argument like um, the expected goals was two point nine to one point one, and that's from uh, Michael Kelly's graphics in favor of Liverpool. In favor of Liverpool. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, That's a, yeah. But as he said, sometimes in football, one keeper has a great game, one team takes a few great shots, the better team doesn't win. And, you know, that is this game. You constantly say to me, there is no deserve in football, in soccer. None. No, there's only the score. There's only the score. Um, and I think you're going to probably deal with what Mr. Klopp had to say. So let's talk about that. Jurgen Klopp, by his own admittance, has turned into a very, what, how did he put it, a very subpar loser. He's a sore loser, and and he, and he is, said it and in every it. he said it in every interview. Yeah, uh, he's now he's not running from that reputation. He is owning it. I am the sore loser, and I'm going to complain after my team loses games. And that was certainly on full display uh, after Liverpool lost yesterday. This is what he said about uh, Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid side and the way they chose to play. He said, "I don't understand with the quality they have, the football they play." They could play proper football, but they stand deep and have counterattacks. We accept it, of course, but it doesn't feel right tonight. I realize I am a really bad loser, especially when the boys put such an effort in against world-class players on the other side who defend with two rows of four. Again, um, I don't think it needs to be said. It's heat of the moment. He's certainly feeling things after the game, but it was kind of the same point he made after the first leg. I would ask... What were you expecting? Diego Simeone is living rent-free in Jurgen Klopp's head right now because you're, after the first leg, he pulls Sadio Mane at halftime because he's afraid that some pl- some player for Atletico Madrid is going to force him into like a fake yellow. Mm. Uh, after this game, he's complaining about like I don't, my only thing is like Diego Simeone is not some guy who's just trying to scrape by by like the skin of his teeth and win here. Like this is a man who has won. 
La Liga in an era dominated by Real Madrid and Barcelona. He's gotten to within like centimeters of two Champions League victories. Uh, you know, this is a pretty accomplished manager who I don't. It just is weird to me to hear him spoken to like he's some kind of like like newbie who doesn't understand the way the game's supposed to be played. Yeah, he has a CV and a resume based on this type of football. That is. You could. I mean, maybe this is about. To, I was going to say better than Jurgen Klopp's, although Klopp having the champion, the Champions League last year, probably puts him ahead of Simeone. Right. Um, yeah, but it's not, it shouldn't be a better but, or. It's 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 somewhere along the line in football. Um. By the way, the, what what Atletico did used to be almost apart from conceding two goals, used to be almost the classic Italian way of playing away from home, uh-huh. and 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 that's a league that Simeone cut his teeth in playing for playing for those teams that he did. In Italy for Inter, Inter Milan, etc. So um, he's honed, he's turned defending, good defending into an art. And I'm going to give him some praise here. I, look, I'm, I don't love the way he plays. I wouldn't like I us to play like that. But, you know, it's, it's winning football and it was winning football last night. Look at the substitutions he made. He wasn't afraid to pull Diego Costa. Um, he puts in Llorente, who scores two goals. He puts in Joe Felix, who has a hand in the setting up of the of the crucial goal for Llorente's first, he brings in Morata, who scored one of his own and set up another one. Yeah. And when legs were tired, when minds were failing to stay focused, Simeone had the changes made that punished Liverpool, and that's where I give him credit. Um, I uh, you, Simeone's response here was was interesting. We play to win with our weapons to win, respecting our identity, respecting the characteristics of the players, exploiting the defects. Of the opponents. That's how we play. Now, if, if someone wants to ask me, is Savage, who failed in the English Premier League, is Savage a better defender than Virgil van Dijk? No. But look at the amazing job that many people pointed out last night that Simeone has done with those players to make them better. To, that's organization. There is merit to this kind of play. Uh, I think Simeone's response to, um, to Klopp and the rest of European football who don't like the way he plays go something like this. Now you don't love me anymore well that breaks my heart but it's too f- bad because you don't gotta love me but you will respect me. Alright. It's, to- it's Tony and Christopher. <laughs> it's true though. It really is true. And I think he is respected. I think he's viewed by everyone as one of the best managers in, in football today. Yeah and again um, this used to be the pattern for European football. A lot of these games were tense edgy defensive affairs where mistakes and the, the tiniest margins for error were exploited by the really good sides. Juventus, I can think of the past, in, in particular doing that. And here we are again. He is like a, in a way, he's like a footballing hipster. He's making what old, what was old, new. Yeah, I just find it annoying from Klopp. A, because this isn't the first time he's done this. Um, but really because like, this idea of, oh, I'm sorry, Jurgen, that your opponent didn't play the way you wanted them to play. Like, who is Jurgen Klopp to, to judge how other teams should be playing? Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone did what needed to be done to beat Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team. Liverpool like to play open, they like to attack, and I think it's almost smart to set up now, a more defensive think, style against them. I think Rory Smith made another valid point that he said it wasn't, it was as much about Liverpool failing to convert their chances as it was about Atletico Madrid working out a brilliant game plan. Like they were by the, they were 2 0 down at one point. True. And that moment to let them back in was crucial, but when the moment happened, they weren't found wanting. They had the man on the field who was going to score twice. 
they had also another man who was going to set up one and score one. And that's, I suppose, where you have to give credit, even though I am, as a Liverpool fan... You're devastated. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Very disappointed. Honestly, it's why, before I knew... Remember, after the group stage was complete, JJ, and we kind of did our recap of the group stage, my prediction for team to most likely to go on a run... I said Atletico Madrid, and that was before I knew they were playing Liverpool. I got a little nervous when I thought they were playing Liverpool. But it, what you just said is exactly it. The fact that they are so strong defensively, but when the moment arrives when they need to score a goal, they're able to do that. And I mean, it's, they've made a whole identity, as Simeone said, out of this. Yeah. Um, last bit on this game. There's a lot. I was reading Mark Ogden yesterday at ESPN FC, and... I think he's kind of representing the viewpoint of a lot of soccer fans out there um, who have been watching Liverpool this season, going back to last season, and even the year before when they get to a Champions League final, win it the next year, see what they're doing in the Premier League this year. And Mark Ogden basically wrote a piece saying, it just feels like them going out at this stage is going to leave a bit of an empty feeling in an otherwise triumphant season for Liverpool. And I'm just wondering... Like the shift in viewpoint over the last couple of weeks on what Liverpool's achieving right now, if that's a little bit harsh. Um, you you know I've been consistent throughout this. I didn't think at the start of the season that Liverpool would even be title um, champions elect. I didn't even think that. I I thought it would be so hard to go against the might of Man City for another season. Um, but as things move along, and as the season goes along, other people, not Klopp not Liverpool, started talking, maybe even some Liverpool fans started talking about what could be. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way things are in sport right now. Um, as Liverpool rolled along, as the defeats didn't come, people started talking about what might be. And uh, Roy Smith wrote a piece on this last week, which was pretty good. When Klopp insisted he was talking, he was taking the season game by game. He was not downplaying his ambitions. It was, it was not one of his ambitions. If it happened, great but it was too distant a prospect to be considered in his plans. You don't plan to go unbeaten. You don't plan to be in the latter stages of the Champions League and top of the Premier League by 22 points. It feels, I think, as if there is a truth for all fans of all teams in there somewhere. A lesson that maybe everyone might learn. No matter what you achieve, no matter how well you do, there is always someone telling you there is something more you could have done. Liverpool should should still make its fans' dream come true this year. It will just have to get used to being told that its dream was not big enough. That's everybody else projecting onto the team. The main objective, hopefully, will be achieved. That's winning the Premier League. Right. And everything else... I mean, look at the look at the three, two and a half years they've had in Europe. It's, it's incredible. been amazing. Yeah. And um, it's, it came to an end last night. It seems a little bit weird because I think we, we are still going to view them as one of the greatest... Uh, Premier League teams of all time. I, I still do think that. So maybe it seems a little bit strange that they're not going to they're not going to exit this season with a second trophy, whether that was a League Cup, FA Cup, uh, champion, or even not even to win the Champions League, but to go out in a relatively early stage. It's a little bit strange, but I don't think that that will change the way I the, the regard that I hold this team in. Un- unfortunately, in the zero-sum game of fans on Twitter and social media, this is a black mark that can never be removed because it's not about actually looking at Liverpool as a great team or evaluating the side. It's about scoring points from whatever team's perspective, rival team's pers- perspective you're from. So let's put that aside for a second. But like, let's be proper football men here yeah. and say that this has been a brilliant season for Liverpool at the end of a brilliant run in Europe 
and that run like they haven't been beaten at home in Anfield in European competition since the Real Madrid 2014 uh, defeat that's incredible you know that's incredible yeah, yeah and that traverses most of the Klopp era um, that, it's almost entirely the, the Klopp era yeah so um, and look look at the magic nights we've had Dortmund came and scored two goals at Anfield and Liverpool still prevailed in that amazing um, semi-final Oh yeah, I remember that night when you tried to convince me that Liverpool winning that in the Europa League was bigger than was it Barcelona Atletico Madrid Champions League semi-final? Yeah, I thought it was a, a bigger game, probably or a better game. Maybe. I think it was. I can't no, remember. No, what... no, 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 bigger. It was clearly the word. It was your worst take that you've had. Uh, I don't know if this podcast <laughs> has ever even recovered from that. I can't moment. even remember that. Uh, I'm sure I said something outlandish. Yeah. It's just funny because like you see that the haters come out um, when a team is down. Like I saw this uh, from uh, Juan G. Arango on Twitter. He's, um, I guess he's a, I don't know actually who he is, he's, <laughs> but he he's got blue check mark. Oh, that means he's legit. <laughs> he said so much for the magic of Anfield, so much for the mystique of the cop. In my honest opinion, they might be winning the league in a runaway manner, but the season was left quite empty. In my honest opinion, this season is a failure for a team that was the best in the world. Oh my God! Failure. I mean, fine. Yeah, sure. The haters. Yeah, and, and again, and again, I'm sure Juan is coming from some angle. Roy Nemer, uh, who's been on this podcast yeah. before, who is defender of all things Argentinian, came out and had a pop at Klopp last night, saying he's no Sir Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex Ferguson, who was in the job 26 years. You know what I mean? Like, um, so everyone's got their own little angle that they're coming at in football. I think Jurgen Klopp would probably tell you he's not Alex Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just wish people could just like it. It does seem to me now that um, football these days, there's a lot of people out there. It's, they don't actually enjoy football or the games or or anything about it. It's it's about the point scoring. Yeah, I will say though, and I'm not. Tr- I don't want to make you feel. I, I want you. I know we joke around, but I want you to enjoy this Liverpool experience. Like you, this, you've waited your whole life essentially to see this, and like I don't. I'm not trying to take away. I will say though, the only the only way I can relate to it, um, like as a Phillies fan. They won the World Series in 2008, and I really think that that, that era, they had a five-year run where they were unbelievably good. And I, but there's still part of me, as great as that achievement was winning that World Series, like I still look back on that era and feel like, boy, they were good enough to have gotten at least one more. And, and there is like part of me that's kind of like, I feel like we left one on the table. Um, yeah. Now, you also have a Champions League. We have the from Champions this, from League. This era. So, you know, it, I feel like you... And hopefully, depending on what happens with the coronavirus, the the Premier League. So that's uh, yeah. I don't. I won't. I didn't even think about. So what are you even implying there? That well, the season will be canceled and no winner will be. No, no. Um, what's going to? Can you imagine? What I think will happen is that um, there will be some kind of shutdown for a few weeks. Euro 2020 will be cancelled and the European football season will go in a little bit into the summer, mm-hmm. the domestic season, to get it finished. That's how I think. Well, yeah. it all depends on what happens with this thing. And again, the rates well, that's the rates thing. of yeah. contraction have to go down. We so. don't, right, there is no... Like I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were like, the, the strange thing about all this is that there's no end zone here. Like It's not like we're at the 10-yard line and we know we no. only got 10 more yards to go to get it. Like, we, we don't know where, like how long this is all so, going to kind of carry on for. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the other three uh, Champions League matches from the last couple days. I I have a what to watch for here. Half of that has now been 
essentially cleaned out um, because of matches that have been okay suspended. Um, but we yeah. do have uh, we do have more to get to. Red cards, man of the match, and like I said, the other games. Uh, so don't go anywhere. Still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. Uh, all right, JJ, we persist. We continue now when we we talk soccer in these strange times. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just so, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I can't know what it is to, in me that I just feel like uncomfortable. I with feel all like this. I'm talking to you and you're drifting off, thinking about something else. Uh, yeah, yeah, you read me perfectly. I you're think, locked in. Come on, people want to talk. Want us to hear? to hear us talk about the football as well. Uh, because, again, like I said, when are we going to get to talk about it again? Yeah, what are we going to do? Like, let's say that I haven't thought about uh, what happens to Caught Offside, this podcast. If there's no, if there's if everything's canceled, I think we... I guess we get a chance to do some of the things we never got to do before. We get to talk about maybe books and documentaries. Our weather podcast. People have been asking us to talk more about film. Have they really? Yeah. I've got a, a direct message I've... I supposed to read ages ago about um, oh I love when you guys talk about film is there any way I know you've got a busy schedule is there any way you can do another podcast about film I don't know I think people are, are sprinting for the next button on their uh, their feeds right now all right PSG they do it they turn it around on Borussia Dortmund in an empty stadium in Paris and they advance to the quarterfinals in what I think really, I mean, I know it's only the round of 16, but I think if you look at PSG and where this has all been headed after the previous two campaigns for them in this competition, since they acquired Neymar, Mbappe, so on and so forth, it's got to be one of the biggest wins in their history that they were able to come back and do this. And I think you could see that. It's very weird, JJ, to, to see in an empty stadium a goal get scored and with no crowd reaction, obviously, because there's no one in the building, to still see players like show such emotion like in some ways it's refreshing because it's like you think it only matters because it's a performative act well, in front of a crowd either that or just like the the enthusiasm of a building i think can like can care like there's inertia to that right. like i think an enthusiasm of 60 70 000 people has a, a rubbing off effect on the guys who's who's at the center of it but um i don't know it felt very like high school sports to me like watching a guy score a huge goal with no one there, but still like it means so much to him. I don't know. It felt very like as pure a moment as PSG can have. It almost felt like that. Yeah. And there was a, there were, you know, what's interesting is hearing their voices. when, when The communication. Yeah. yeah. And, and also you hear when the ball is hit, you hear that, that noise that you haven't heard since you play it. Yeah. You hear it every weekend when you play yourself because there's no crowd there. And then you hear the pros make the same sounds. And also, uh, I was listening to a podcast where someone said at the weekend, it was amazing to hear the back and forth between opposition players, the back and forth between teammates, uh-huh. the cajoling, the anger, the jokes, all the things that we miss out on because of the crowd noise. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about Juventus and Inter Milan. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was weird, obviously, because we were focusing on the other game. I only saw highlights of this. But most of the match reports, and from what I could see from the highlights, like Dorman just didn't show up. No, and they're a funny side. And you know, when you talk to to people who watch them week in week out, you talk to their fans. They're they're frustrating. Um, you don't know what you're going to get from them necessarily. 
I mean, they can put on a performance, an attacking performance that absolutely wows you, and yet they are capable of being extremely flat. Uh, they're capable of defensive lapses in a way that you feel this team is teetering. It's just missing something that it doesn't have for it to be a more consistent side. I don't know is that management. I don't know if that's coaching. But um, this was a, considering what happened in the first leg, this was a, a big zero for them. Yeah, um, and credit to PSG. It's not just about Dortmund capitulating. Um, we had said on Monday's podcast that these these are the moments that you go out and you get Neymar, and if he's if he's worth it, these are the moments where he has to show up. Well, he did. Uh, his first goal, his movement to get to that header. Um, maybe it was poor defending by PSG, but it's also Neymar just finding a way to attack that ball. It's perfect. Um, and it was huge for them to get that first goal. Uh, and for him to be the one that did it, I think it just lifted the whole team. Uh, getting the second one on like the stroke of halftime on kind of a, a nifty sort of deflection, um, huge for them to take that into the locker room. And then that was that was all they needed. I know there's been a lot of drama surrounding his birthday and the usual controversies that seem to go with him, injuries as well. But uh, FIFA tweeted it's 23 combined goals and assists in 15 appearances since the start of December. Wow. That's pretty good going considering he hasn't even been available for all the games. Boy, we do forget. We, we don't we forget, forget, we forget his how talent. good he is we sometimes. Don't. We do. It's never the focus. And if we forget because we he, it's because about, he's not on the field. Or, or he's doing something off the field that's kind of detracting from it. But like when it's all said and done and he's out there playing and he's focused... He's still. I think he he still shows you he's one of the best players in the world. I'm so curious where they go from here. Uh, well, I guess where does that's, anything that's go? Implying that this competition. Where does continue. anything go from anywhere? Right yeah. now, day one. Right. It's weird. I'm thinking about like. Right. Hey, pull it back. Pull it back. On, come back. Come back. Come no, back to us, Andy. Come back. What does anything mean right now? I know. Don't do this. Chin up, sunshine. Come on. Leagues getting suspended. I just read the ACC tournament's been suspended. It's. This is come on. Let's every conference. Let's go. Let's go. Unbelievable. Um, let's see. We continue now, JJ. Let's just go. Let's, let's go to Tottenham. That'll that'll snap me out of this funk. Uh, boy, what a whimper! I mean, you talk about a zero from Dortmund, and here here's what I would say about it. I think we have to stop being surprised. Like I feel like every time Tottenham come out uh, this season in a big game, who's surprised? I feel like I get that. That feeling, like I feel like I'm living Groundhog's Day after each one of these games. Oh my god, it's another no show from Spurs. You know, the manager like, literally three weeks ago said, "Well, he's not surprised. It'll he's be the t- same. He's telling everybody it will but, be the same result." Yeah, um, and since we last spoke, they had even lost another attacking player to injury, probably for the remainder of the season. In Steven Bergwijn, um, I'm a little bit conflicted on Tottenham. Um, a, because I actually, like I said after the first leg, I actually think RB Leipzig are really good. Uh, I don't think it's a fluke how well they're doing in this competition or how well they're doing in the Bundesliga. I think they're a really good team. Uh, and B, I don't want to sound like whiny, sore loser here, but like injuries do matter. Uh, and, and I can't tell you that Tottenham win if Bergvine and Son and Kane are healthy. But I can also tell you that it matters that those players aren't there, that Davinson Sanchez is hurt, that Musa Sissoko is hurt, um, that Ben Davies is hurt. Like That you sold Victor Wanyama. 
And I don't even know what role he was going to continue playing, so I almost don't include him. But I know what you mean. We've barely spoken about his transfer, but you heard Mourinho. Well, he had just deteriorated so much as a player, yeah. partially because of injuries over the last 12 months. Um, so it, it's kind of a team that is like two things are happening at once. They're in the, a period of major transition, uh, and it's not going well, as is often the case with teams in transition. And they're also, it is what it is. Like is. They're ravaged by injuries right now, and I think this is... This is the end product. You're seeing what that all looks like when it's all happening at once. And and throw in a lack of a, compare, a coherent uh, playing style to suit the personnel he has. Throw in um, the negativity, the, the the basically your star player, your most expensive player, being signaled out for abuse in the media. Put that all together yeah. and that drips down. But the weird thing about Tottenham, I saw a stat yesterday that like you think about Josie Mourinho coming into your squad as a manager and what that typically means. It means, okay, we're going to not be quite so attacking, but we're going to load up defensively and we're not going to concede goals. JJ, in the Premier League, this is across all competitions, so the stat is slightly skewed, but the point remains. Uh, since Mourinho took over, only one club has conceded more goals than Spurs in that time, and that's Aston Villa. Like, that is... Yeah, so he's not even doing the things that he was good at before. Now, here's my belief. Do I think this is a squad in transition that needs to be overhauled? Yes. Do I believe that this is the only way it could be? It has to be this bad. Everything about it, from the optics of the football to the off the field. It can be no other way. No, I don't believe that. The only reason that I I slightly disagree with you saying that is because this had started under Pochettino. Um, I don't believe that this is just a Jose Mourinho problem like this the football being this bad is not just a Jose Mourinho problem I can tell you I'm, I was watching them every single game it was this bad right that that's as maybe it was this that's bad. as maybe Andrew but you know in the press conference afterwards he does the same thing he's been doing week after week he's gonna handle listing it everyone else's players uh-huh. you think you think Barcelona can do X or Y without Messi Suarez you think Liverpool can do anything without Firmino, Mane, except in the semi-finals last year, Liverpool did do something without their key players. And guess what? The club you're at right now did as well. They didn't throw the bloody towel in weeks beforehand. And I really That's didn't a great get, point. I, Kane wasn't on that field no, against Ajax. No, he wasn't. And I didn't get a chance to, to, to vent about this as well. But Tottenham fans who are defending Jose Mourinho allowed a Tottenham manager to three days before a derby against a team that their fans despise, they allowed him to throw in the towel. You're talking about Pochettino in the... the no, they allowed Mourinho to throw in the towel three days before the Chelsea game. Right oh, after saying, Leipzig, he, he, he's making... Come on, man, come on. Making noises about playing Frank Lampard's Chelsea. It's uncon- Andrew, things can be bad. There is a way to deal well, with things. I, I would tell you this. That's not, Pochettino did the same against Arsenal uh, before the League Cup when he played a B squad and, and no, Tottenham fans no, no, were no, not happy not, about not a that B either. Squ- no. Did he say or did he not say in the week beforehand, did, did Pochettino ever say they, that that's it, we're not going to win this game? I don't game? remember his exact comment, but he, he talked about basically that competition is not what their goal is. Right, that's not the same and, thing. That's a priority thing. This is li- literally saying we can't do anything in this game. And and I and I will accept that injuries and, and this transitional period is a problem and that there are players who are going to have to be moved on and things need to change. But this is, this is not the guy to do it and this is not the way to do it. Yeah, I don't know if he, when he took this job on, because um, he's not necessarily a guy that you point to as somebody who you would go to to oversee a rebuild. 
I think he's somebody that you go to to change things up on a squad that can win, but like can't seem to like get over the the hump, which has been Tottenham. They've been good for years now, but they haven't gotten the hump. They haven't gotten over the hump and won a trophy. But like, I, I don't know if he quite realized uh, what Pochettino was realizing in that. Oh, this is this is not a team that is ready to get over the hump. This is a team that got close to it, missed their chance, and now they are on the other side. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is, though, we keep talking about how um, how it's over, like this run is over. But like. I was going back and looking at the ages of some of the players on this team. They're not old. Mm. Like, do you have a couple? Alderweireld is now over thirty, but you know Vertonghen. But like, you know, Eric Dyer is twenty-eight. Uh, like, I was going through the list. You know, they're, they're mostly guys who are like twenty-six, twenty-seven, and twenty-eight. They're kind of in that spot right now where they they kind of should be in their prime. I mean, I just wonder if because Tottenham hadn't refreshed their squad over the past few years, the tread on those tires is comparable to that of a guy in their mid-30s. I don't know. Some, I mean, something's wrong, whether it's injuries, whether it's There's a danger. aging, whether it's the style. It's probably, look, it's everything. I don't think you get to this point without it being a little bit of a lot of things. Right, and there's also danger that we're on overkill with Jose Mourinho. I mean, he is just infecting every conversation about Spurs. I'm not but, even. I'm not really talking about him right now. No, I, I can't. You he, are. He, you hate his guts. You have a personal thing against him and you can't hey talk hey, about hey don't, don't do that now don't do that come on that's like the personal JJ, the, true the personal what the personal grudge with with jose Mourinho is based on what he does in his personal well, grudges well, you this. i'm reflecting you're, his you're, personal you're also grudges. not alone uh, even among tottenham fans there were These there were spurs fans gr- that the day he was hired decided this this is a, a horrible idea and they were against him from, everything from i've said is being based on what we've seen so far and the utterances from his mouth and it's just i don't understand i like i said on monday's podcast and this is why i feel as if we need to get off the subject well, i don't you can look in the mirror you don't look at me if you think we talk about Mourinho. Too no much. no no it's me oh it is me i don't i don't understand uh, the targeting of players like this i don't i don't get it uh last but not least here for the champions league atalanta take care of business against valencia um, eight four on aggregate, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, Joseph Ilicic was incredible. Scored all four, um, of uh, Atalanta's goals in this game. And he's a kind of a he's a cult hero for me right now because I, I looked at his, his stats and his record. It's not like he's ever been at a huge enormous club. Do you know what I mean? Like a. And he's in the wind down of his career and he's just landed at Atalanta and doing all these amazing things. He's kind of been at a steady level for a while, but has also been super talented. And at 32, he's probably having his best season in across all competitions. He's 29 games played, 21 goals, nine assists, uh, five goals in the Champions League, 15 goals in Syria. Well, he had five goals in this tie against Valencia. Uh, <laughs> and there's an amazing stat that accompanies that. Um, Ilicic now becomes the first player not named Messi or Ronaldo to score five or more goals in a Champions League knockout tie. That's the group. Ronaldo, Messi, Ilicic? Like, where's, like, Lewandowski or, or like, Van Nistelrooy? Like, that's just not the guy that I would have guessed. I think it reminds me of what happened in, like, USA 94. Wasn't it Oleg Selenko that scored, like, a ton of goals for Russia against, I can't remember who it was. And he ended up like sharing the golden boot with Romario. <laughs> Someone, you know, it's like there was this list of brilliant players Baggio, Romario, Oleg Selenko. Huh? Yeah. This was another one of those games played in an empty stadium. Um, I know we've seen it before in soccer, still jarring. Uh, 
to see. Well, like, Mina Rizuki tweeted um, how weird it was because she was following the game, uh, being uh, an Italian football expert. And uh, I tweeted at her, if the Mestaya is empty, is it even the Mestaya? I mean, the Mestaya got this mystique in the early 2000s for being this cauldron. Uh, the away leg, you had to win your home leg because you weren't going to win there. Yeah. And is it even that? Does it is it that cathedral to football when there's no uh, parishioners? I mean, I guess you could say that about a lot of buildings. I mean, without an atmosphere, it just becomes brick and mortar. Yeah, you're right. Um, but good for Atlanta. They advance, or something. They they advance. We don't know what they advance to. We are in a, a weird time. Which you keep. I mean, if I'm bad on Mourinho, you on coronavirus is just... Well, I think one warrants it. Okay. Um, what to watch for... <laughs> what to watch for? I don't, uh, I don't know. Paint drying? <laughs> I don't know. What, DVDs? I don't know what to watch for, everyone. I'm As of now... Uh, just read the fixtures, will you? Well, because we don't know. As of now, in the English Premier League, Saturday, 11 a.m., Manchester City versus Burnley, asterisk. Saturday, 1.30 p.m., oh, sorry, Manchester City versus Burnley, Aston Villa versus Chelsea. Sunday, 12.30 p.m., Tottenham versus Manchester United. And Monday, 4 p.m., Everton versus Liverpool. A couple quick things before we move off of it. Uh, should City lose and Liverpool win, Liverpool would win the title. Yeah. It could happen on Monday. Um I'd be surprised if Manchester City lost at home to Burnley. Uh, I'm very curious about Everton and Liverpool, regardless, just because uh, at Goodison, I almost want Manchester City to lose that game because I want to see the way Everton treat that match at home against Liverpool. I really think it's their like we've talked about this cup before. final. It's their. I mean, could could they have a bigger game in this era? Then that one? Could you sound more like Ross from Friends? First of all, I think it was probably Chandler that you're thinking of. Oh, it is Chandler. Oh, <laughs> you, you no. You had your big moment there to, oh, to I really I assimilate bl- truly into American culture and I with, blew a, it. with a Friends reference. Oh. And you just showed the world how Irish you really are. Oh, my God. Yep. Um, are you sure about the maths there, Andrew? Yes. And don't ever question me. All right. Um, and I also wanted to say that... Um, like we were just talking about Tottenham a moment ago. Like the funny thing is, let's say the Manchester City uh, UEFA ban is upheld and that fifth spot is up for grabs for a Champions League place. Uh, very quietly, like I know Tottenham morale among the fan base, they may as well be in the relegation zone right now. But very quietly, this match is enormous for Spurs because here's the thing: Jose Mourinho is probably going to continue to be the manager for next season. And he's going to want a significant transfer budget because, I don't know if you've been paying attention, uh, he wants some new players on this squad. If Tottenham don't qualify for the Champions League, who are you getting? Like, who's who's coming to this team right now? The, and by the way, who are you keeping? Because Harry Kane has said, for, for all the he's one of our own that he's treated as, and he'll always be a Tottenham legend no matter what happens. But he made his point pretty clear when he said he will remain with Spurs as long as he feels like there's an upward trajectory. Does anyone, anyone with eyes and a brain look at this team right now and see upward trajectory? And there'll be an emboldened Manchester United with money around the corner. So, like, suddenly, like, they need to pick themselves up quickly. Uh, And I know I said before, we need to stop being surprised. Like, my expectation is that they will not win this game. Um, But if there is any sort of hope left in salvaging some kind of, like, 
future for this club uh, to be to continue to be what they've been the past four or five seasons. They got to start winning, and they, it's got to start now because this is a huge differential if they lose this game as opposed to winning it. They've only got one game left against the top six side after this. That's against Leicester, so they've got on paper winnable games coming up. But this is one that they absolutely desperately need. Uh, so yeah, pick yourselves up, Spurs Nation. It's it's still uh, it's still a big game. It's still a big game. JJ, I have MLS um, here on what to watch for. Obviously, these games are not happening. The league has been suspended. Um, but I do want to quickly say that um, uh, a quick little discussion on what happened in the CONCACAF Champions League up to this point. That has also been suspended, like we said earlier. Uh, NYCFC losing just a, a in the first leg, a total gut punch right at the end. Vargas right at the end. And yeah. they, looked, uh, they looked competitive in that game. And there is hope for... For the away leg, but it's uh, that's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough, and uh, and Ronnie Dahlia is just having the most horrendous start to his uh, to his time as manager. Well, they did advance to the quarterfinals. They bet San Carlos, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then also Atlanta United FC with a terrible start uh, to their um, quarterfinal in the Concacaf Champions League. Yeah, it's it's not looking good for them at all. Um, Obviously, a game that won't happen, but I have a joke first, so I'm going to shoehorn it in. Oh. Uh, Inter Miami versus LA Galaxy. Uh, David Beckham faces his former club. Won't be the first time Galaxy fans see Beckham in another club's colours, saying how much his time at LA means to him. Huh? That's very clever. No? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that game's been suspended. Um, also, I, I should mention Montreal. Um, with a a really fun watch in their um, CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal. Uh, speaking of watches. Henri. Thierry Henri watch. What a goal. Bavavoom. Was the French for Bavavoom. Did not go the way that they wanted. No. Boy, we talked about Wanyama before. It's weird seeing him in a Montreal Impact kit. It just is. Yeah, it's weird how angry Canadians got at me for saying this was not the career trajectory when he left Celtic. To end up in Montreal at 28. Yeah. What's wrong with Montreal? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> America. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Thierry on rewatch. If you thought that my chastening at the hands of Atletico Madrid would have stopped my smugness, you are wrong, friends. You are very wrong. For I have found Schadenfreude. What's the French for Schadenfreude, by the way? Um, so first of all, um, they lost to Olympia, who uh, went to Montreal and won. But uh, late in the second half, the impact had a penalty appeal turned away by referee Anthony Escobedo. I'm glad you brought this up. Who originally pointed to the spot only to reverse his decision and give a corner kick after consultation with his assistant. Olympia's Melor Nunes looked to commit a handball offence on a headed effort by Montreal's Anthony Jackson Hamill. And to see Thierry Henry upset on the sideline about a handball not being called was just you chef's are, kiss. You are desperate. To, uh, 11, to create an enemy. 11 years later. How do you like them apples, Thierry? Or sorry, excuse me. Oh, I was going to say it in French. Palms. You're still bitter about it. No, I'm, not, I'm actually not. But I did think it was kind of you funny. You should be. I it, would be. It was kind of funny to see the parallels. And, and in fairness to Henri, to give him his credit, he did not bring it up in his post-match. He said 
he said that was not the reason they lost. Two schoolboy defensive errors were yeah. the reason they lost that game. And I give Henri total credit for that. I am merely clutching at straws, friends. No, I'll hold the bitterness of the Panama uh, non-goal with me forever for the U.S. to not qualify. I, so I actually, well no, rights. I've given it up. It's over. Uh, no, forever. Um, the, the, the penalty decision, I don't know. Ultimately, maybe I have to see it again. I feel like they, they arrived at the right call, I think. Uh, my only thing is it just feels weird that the referee who's standing right there and pointing to the spot would then defer to a guy who's like 40 yards away in making, in, in changing his mind on the decision. That just feels strange to me. I mean, we often talk about being concacafed by both teams and referee, so maybe this is an example of it. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure about that one. To be honest with you, the moment of the game was none of what we've spoken about so far. It was Safir Tader's goal, which was a volley from 35 yards. And here's how it sounded. Big matches Tader from distance goal! seeing some good goals in America, North American soccer last few days. Well, you asked me, what do you do to change it? Maybe you do that, all right? You can't go through them. You can't go around them. Go over them. Funny, a Tottenham fan got in touch with us and said, because uh, I tweeted out the goal, what a goal by Tater, like a, a, a half volley from 35 yards. Brilliant. And he goes, you're not going to talk about Wanyama setting it up? Like it was a joke. Like Wanyama just literally nodded the ball onto him. That can't even count as an. Imagine that. That probably does count as an assist. So you got. So this is a thing now. Like you are. You've now created a vendetta against this club, against their manager, and against their key signing. Like you. You. I don't know. No. There's, no. It was a joke. He was making a funny joke about Winyama because you've because it's a known thing that you have it in for him. No, in, he's in his career. No, the guy was saying I'm just trying to to squeeze as a Tottenham fan. I'm trying to squeeze any joy out of anything related to Tottenham. Oh, I right thought now. it was more relating to you mocking where Wanyama's career has taken him. No, no, no. It had nothing to do with that. It was funny, though, because it was that's going to go down as an assist. As it should. <laughs> He's literally just heading it to the guy. As we say, not all assists are created equal. But, by the way, um, Mailbag has gone into Retiro. Mailbag will return next week. Yeah, we're going to need that, I think. Yes, we are. we're not going to have a ton of content. <laughs> mailbag is going to be... And we're not creative enough to think we're gonna, of our We're going to be leaning on Mailbag, <laughs> but please keep the mail short. Right. I feel like... Like when we say to people, "Hey, we have a, a our podcast tomorrow is going to be a mailbag special, so start sending them in now. We're going to do a full episode of a mailbag." Don't you feel like that's the podcasting equivalent of when you came into school as a kid and your teacher was like, "Okay, we're going to watch a video today." Like that was their way of saying, "Like I just don't feel like doing I've the work." I've been in the bar till eleven last <laughs> night. Go watch a video. I am hungover. Yeah. You do whatever you need to do. I have this History Channel documentary about uh, the War of 1812. <laughs> sure, we're studying that you uh, need, the Gulf War, but that, we're going to watch it. That you need to see at, at 4 o'clock on a Friday. <laughs> right. uh, let's see then. Let's let's do this. Red card. Can I go first here? I want to get this out of the way because I don't feel good about this. And so I feel like if I go first, maybe I'm burying it and people will forget later on. Or it's the first thing they heard and they'll stop listening, throw their phone out the door of the car and... Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess that's also the the risky run. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna forge ahead. I don't feel good about this because the fan aspect of soccer is is maybe my favorite part of the game. Um, 
And the images that we saw, like the love, the celebration, everything we saw from PSG and their supporters outside the Parc des Princes following Wednesday's win was oh, unique. Oh, no. It was, it was special. Honestly, if you were somebody who was there, that's, that will hopefully be remembered by you as a special memory. I saw ESPN FC's account tweet a picture of the celebration with the caption, PSG celebrating with their fans is iconic. And my... My initial instinct was honestly to agree with that. The images, they're incredible. I mean, look up the tweet. It's really, really something. But then I saw a tweet from uh, Leander Sherlikens, uh, soccer columnist for Yahoo, and it kind of smacked me back to reality when he responded to that tweet by saying, no, uh, actually, it's stupid. The point of closing the stadium to fans was to avoid a large public gathering, and going out to celebrate with them will only encourage more of them to come out the next time. So I saw that and I thought about it and I thought I don't want to agree with him because he's kind of pouring cold water on a cool soccer moment. But I'm sorry. Any way you slice it, he's right. Uh, there's currently a ban in France for gatherings uh, for any gathering of over a thousand people as a way of trying to fend this off. But for whatever reason, the PSG ultras were granted a special exemption by the police. So they were not there illegally. That was granted for them to do that. Um, I know we've been able to live our lives and we don't want to remain in a constant state of fear. But the sentiment – but like that sentiment is kind of for another day, like we said. Like you're going to be inconvenienced right now and you're not going to be able to do all the things that you want to do. And it's all in the name of public health. And as cool as the moment was, that was not in the best interest of public health as people are trying to do everything in their power to curb the spread of this virus. So – like, I'm sorry, I'm being that guy. This is like such a Debbie Downer moment that I'm kind of throwing at you on, on something that looked cool. But Leander Sherlikens, with his tweet, it was harsh the way he put it, but he's not wrong. Those those images that we saw yesterday from outside of that stadium of 3,000 people gathering to celebrate that win with the team, it was cool, but it probably shouldn't have happened. Probably, but those people were going to be there one way or the other. Whether the police granted them a permit or not, they were going. That was it. So All right, well, it does have to... I, I don't have to agree with it, though. No, you don't. Definitely not. Okay, people, legal talk incoming. I want everyone just to bear with me. How long is this? Are Here you... we go. Okay. Uh, U.S. Soccer oh. Federation's filings emerged at the start of the week from the lawsuit over equal pay brought by the U.S. women's national teams. Within the filings were some hugely controversial arguments that, as Julie Foudy described on the uh, call of the U.S. women's game against Japan, uh, broadcast as one of the tent poles of the USSF argument against equal pay. So within the filings are the following, as outlined by Meg Linehan in The Athletic, who is covering this as better than anyone. In the most recent document, US soccer's attorneys argued that the ability levels between the men's national team and the women's national team are fundamentally different, that the overall soccer playing ability for the men's national team is materially influenced by the level of certain physical attributes such as as speed and strength required for the job. The point is that the job of men's national team players competing against senior men's national teams requires a higher level of skill based on speed and strength than does the job of women's national team players. Mm. 
competing against senior women's national teams. The Federation's attorneys also note that there is evidence that men's national team players face tougher competition even on a relative basis than the women's national team, which makes sense on some level as the men are ranked 21st in the world according to FIFA, whereas the women are number one overall in their respective rankings. While US Soccer argues that this is an additional basis to deny the players' motion, it is also a condemnation, a condemnation of their success. Um, in addition, the Federation pushes back against equal responsibilities as part of equal work between the two teams. They state that the women only participate in one revenue-generating tournament every four years, that's the FIFA Women's World Cup, whereas the men's national team players have responsibility for competing in multiple soccer tournaments with the potential for generating a total of more than $40 million in prize money for US soccer every four years. Television ratings were also tied to the concept of equal responsibilities, though it is unclear how that would be listed in the job description of either a men's national team or women's national team player beyond similar tasks of media appearances and game promotion. Finally, the Federation attorneys state that working conditions also apply to the case and the men, quote, routinely play matches important World Cup qualifiers in particular, throughout Mexico, Central America and the Caribbean. Opposing fan hostility encountered in these men's national team road environments, especially in Mexico and Central America, is unmatched by anything the women must face while trying to qualify for an important tournament. This also extends to friendlies in the, Fedega- in the Federation's argument. Okay, so let me go to Mina Kimes right now, who breaks down the problems with all that. In what universe was this a good argument to make? Uh, U.S. soccer is trying to argue here that the women do not deserve equal pay because they don't do equal work. They're contending that the men have more difficult jobs. This is problematic for a couple of reasons. One, if you follow that logic to its natural conclusion, you're basically saying women should never deserve equal pay for physical labor, which I think we can all agree is a problem. Two, the other issue with the size and strength and speed thing, we know that's true. Everyone knows it. We don't have to deny it. Everybody knows if the U.S. women played the U.S. men, they would be at a physical advantage. But they do not play the U.S. men. They do not play men. They play other women, and they dominate them. That's where the legal argument falls apart in the real world. And this strikes me as incredibly short-sighted and catastrophically dumb for U.S. soccer because while it's an argument that might win in court, it's one that's going to haunt them in the future. Generations will not look kindly at this sort of rhetoric. That last point she makes there is very interesting because I don't know what it is that U.S. Soccer Federation cares more about. Like she says, this may win them the argument in court. Well, that may be it. Like they may not care about the optics of their argument. Now, Carlos Cordero came out and apologized. Which Megan Rapino has responded to and says that she doesn't buy it. Yeah. Uh, Budweiser uh, are one of the sponsors who chimed in saying they're disappointed in what was said uh, in the filings by U.S. soccer's attorneys. Also, Sarah Spain made an excellent point, and and this is the key point to me. Um, You don't pump as much uh, money, resources, energy, time into women's soccer, and yet on the revenue side, you want it to come, you you say it has to, it it can't compete with the men's. Well, of course it's not. You haven't given it the time, the money, or the care to do that. She she cited the example of tennis, where women's tennis was promoted, was given equal TV standing as the men's game. That's the one thing always struck me about tennis. Yeah, it's always been held up as as, as equal, and they put they promoted it, they put money into it, they 
as much as they could. It's equal, a great comparison. Equalized the pay in it, and it flourished. You know, it's like me, you having a plant, and your plant is just amazing, and, and you give it all the water and all the nourishment it needs, and it and it flowers up, and it looks amazing, and you compare it with mine in a competition, which has been given none of those things, and is a weedy, small, little Irish plant. You know, it's just an unfair basis for argument. And by the way, nobody looks at uh, Megan Rapinoe or Carly Lloyd and says, "Oh, they can't sprint like like Christian Pulisic. They're they're not as they're not as uh, they don't tackle as tough as uh, as Michael Bradley." So what? Who's comparing them? They don't play. Yeah. They're two different realms. Yeah, and it is. Mina Kimes is right about another thing too. Like, okay, you may win the court battle, but. This is extraordinarily bad PR around a team right now that this country is in love with. I will get and to and that. And it's turned it's, – it's almost like, okay, you've taken this step to prop your men's team up above your women's team. But in the process, because of how beloved the women's team is, you have vilified your men's team. Like, is there any financial downfall from, from taking that route? I guess we'll see. Now, you're, you're seeing men's players – releasing statements essentially voicing their support like i saw demarcus beasley just released a lengthy statement voicing his support for the women's fight for equal pay a lot of players have done the same it's, a, it's an unfair and they, and they almost have to they have to know to um to defend i i suppose i mean they just come across really badly in this and uh they're un- it's unfortunate they've been dragged into the mix of this yeah this comparison that u.s soccer is using as a as julie Foudy said one of their tent poles of the of the debate against or not the debate the lawsuit that has been taken by the women. Yeah. Um, but I have more on that. Oh, you do. Okay. Well, then. caught offside, man of the match. While we're on it, do you want to just go right now? Yeah. You talked about the backlash. The backlash has already begun. So my women of the match are the women's national team, and it's because of what they did on the field. Let me let me deal with that part first. I guess. Uh-huh. Um, they put in a performance of huge amounts of skill. Two of the finest goals I've seen, and look at some of the goals we've seen in the last 10 days, the brilliant free kick from Megan Rapino up over the wall into the top corner, and the brilliant chip yeah. from your darling, your favourite, um, uh, Kristen Press. Honest question. Has she ever scored, ever scored a boring goal? Are every single one of her goals incredible? Would you say they're goals of a pretty high level of skill? To chip the keeper from twenty yards, yeah, and, it looked pretty skillful. Not, not, not to mention what she did against England. That that almost one touch out of her feet and smashes it home. Unbelievable performance they they put in, and you can't take it away of the context that was whirring around in their minds before the game in protest at the comments that came, emerged from the filings. They wore their training tops back to front, so you could only see the four stars and not the federation crest, which came. I think, what an amazing move. You talked about the backlash. There's a t-shirt that I'm sure is selling like hotcakes right now of the inverted crest, of the, of the embroidered crest that's inside out that they wore with just the four stars and the outline of the shield. The backlash has already begun here. And, um, I, I can't believe the tact that US, the US Soccer Federation has taken against these amazing women. They are amazing. Because guess what? They're fighting a campaign for equal rights while scoring some of the best goals you'll see and winning games. And that's what they do. They win. You can hate their hairstyles. You can hate their demeanour. You can hate their politics if you want, although I'm not sure how you could. Because, But when it comes down to it, these women 
are winning. They're doing the job. They're just unbelievable. Yep. Awesome. Uh, let's see, JJ. Uh, my man of the match, I went with Benny Failhaber, one of the more, I think one of the more underratedly great American soccer careers has come to an end. I, I think the word I used pre-pod was criminally underused. From 2007 to 2017, he made 44 appearances for the U.S. men's national team. He was a member of the 2010 World Cup squad and the 2008 Olympic squad. Only scored two goals for the U.S., but one of them was, I think you got to say, one of the more... One of the most memorable U.S. goals scored in the last 20 years is in the Gold Cup against Mexico with the score tied in the 73rd minute. Sheffield Wednesday, the lower divisions of England, the volley! Yes! Yes! Benny! Failhaber! 73rd minute! Benny with his jet! 2-1 U.S. And, you know, the cool thing about his career is that it's not necessarily one that was destined to happen. He, So he was born in Brazil, moved to Southern California, and had to walk on to the US, uh, UCLA college team. Like, he's not some guy who, like, came from, like, just like, oh, let me just go off to Europe and, like, start playing at age 16. Like, he, he went to college, had to walk on, and then after two years at UCLA, his talent was shining through, and he actually left... Um, and signed with Hamburg in the Bundesliga. Um, he also made 10 Premier League appearances for Derby County, great MLS player for New England, LAFC, Colorado, but most notably Sporting Kansas City. He actually joined us uh, last, was it last year? Uh, or was it or two, year years ago. two years yeah, ago, I think. Yeah. Um, and he's, he was awesome to talk to. What a what a good dude. Like, he, I think he's going to be a very interesting voice in U.S. soccer going forward. I hope he is. Um, you said that uh, Jurgen Klinsmann... Really, that was that put the kibosh on his career. His international career, yeah. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know what it was about his game. Um, He was a creative number ten style player, attacking attacking midfielder, forward player that could link the play, could score goals, could set other people up. I mean, after after he posted his statement on Twitter that he was retiring, other players kind of came from out of the woodwork to share their praise. Uh, Nat Borchers wrote, "Congratulations on a great career, Benny. Love the way you played the game. Best wishes on the next step, bud." Uh, Jimmy Conrad wrote, "Quite possibly the best passer of the ball I have ever played with. Still don't think you get the credit you deserve in this regard." Josie Altador uh, wrote, "He came on versus Spain and bossed it when they were unreal." Class player and person. Some amazing memories together. All the best in the future, Benny. Was that that famous Confederations Cup yep. game? So, like, how as in... So when... It's weird. That, so it was two years later before Klinsman got the job. Right. Because uh, that, that Confederation... That was 09. He was on the 2010 team. Right. And then Bob Bradley was out shortly after that. And Klinsman came in. The two careers that I kind of look at, almost side by side... Uh, are his and Sasha questions like two players that I really held in such a high regard that you always kind of that like for whatever reason their their national team careers were sort of derailed while their club careers continued to thrive and you never quite understood why class they both came back into the fold but it was sort of a little too late oh it was and they never really got a proper run but yeah great player uh and like I said one of of all the MLS players we've had on he was probably one of the most fun that we've spoken to so I wanted to make sure he got some love on this uh on this podcast today what a pod. Go. We did it. I'm uh, glad it's it's this long, this meaty, this involved, because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to continue to do this show. Of course. Uh, we'll do it every week. Um, Even if we have to play in games ourselves, 1v1 with Andrew. You know? record. People have, I, I've been playing with... I, 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 
it was so nice out uh, over the weekend. Jack and I went outside. We were playing. He was he's four years old. He was sensational. Yeah, where does he I, take I, it from? It's not from you. Sure, it is. It's not. And, I'm trying to wonder how do I harness this Andrew's wife this skill. Andrew's wife actually knows her way around a soccer ball and played in high school, and you can tell. Andrew did not, and you can tell. I mean, when we all played that one day, I thought I owned her out on the wing. She couldn't get past me. Because oh of your meaty thighs. Your big, flab- big thighs. your big flabby legs were tripping her up. <laughs> there was no skill in your game. Look, if you want to show cards, show cards. But I didn't see any that day. Uh, me and her were the dominant players that day. Yeah, you, you play for like a living, okay? You're better than all of us that I, haven't touched a soccer ball in I never, 15 years. I never right? played for a living. No, you're like a borderline pro and no, you want like, to borderline... play against peons and, and prop yourself up like you're you know messy. No, I'm, I'm a deeply average player that just made you look like a fool. That's what happened. That's it. I'm now going to train. I'm going to start training. And I'm gonna <laughs> You've be, threatened this I'm before with the time you got the rowing I mean, it's machine. It's hard to play one-on-one. Like, is there any sort of game that we can play? Like in basketball, I would take you one-on-one. Crossbar challenge. That could be fun. Done. Done. We I'm got- going to train and, and I, I believe that I will get to You're going to train for crossbar challenge. Yeah, I'm going to go outside with a ball, rain or shine, snow, whatever, and I'm just, I'm going to like. Um, do you promise now? And we'll do this. We'll, we'll, we'll record it. We'll put it up. Uh, that could be fun. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Oh, God, that is non-committal. Let's do it. All right. But you see, like, when am I going to train? You know, I've got kids. Uh, until you have a child. Until you have a child? Until you have a child, you do not understand. Okay. okay? Yeah, that's you all over. Okay, guys, stay safe. Yeah, um, real. Keep, keep uh, cdc.org and um, look after each other, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. And keep in touch with us because I'll tell you what, we got a big mailbag special coming around the bend. This, this, I'm glad that we did this, honestly. This was important. Um, and uh, I guess I'll see you next week. All right, man. Take care. You too. Take it later, fun boy. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 